Hi, this is Shay Guerrero, and I'm with John Littlefair on Never Just a Dog podcast. So your dad was Mexican and your mum's Spanish? Yes. My mom's side, uh, ancestral, is very much from Spain. My dad was born in Mexico and he came over as a three-month-old baby. So he was, he was also far you know, removed from the culture in the sense that he grew up his entire life in America. Um, my mom, however, on my mom's side, my fifth great-grandma back, you know, was born in Santa Fe. So it was a, a long line of, uh, you know, people born in either New Mexico or Colorado for my mom's side. So um, generations and generations back, we don't speak Spanish on that side either. So I didn't get it. Actually, my dad uh, didn't want me to speak Spanish. Uh, When I was a a little girl, he didn't teach it to me. Um, In his household, that's all they spoke was Spanish. But it, it could be sometimes looked at as shameful if you don't speak English. So he didn't want me to speak anything but English. So he didn't teach me. And then when he passed away, I was only in kindergarten. So, um, you know, I, I didn't get that side of the culture for a really long time. And you're still really attached with the Spanish culture? With the, Sorry, I should say the Mexican culture and Spanish as well. Yes, definitely. I think that it wasn't until later in life, actually, that I was an artist and I was showing, I went to go see if I could show art in a gallery and I had, I used to do pinup art, just pinup girls. And I was never selling anything. And I painted these beautiful women, but I just never sold anything. And I went into a gallery and I asked if I could be an artist there. And, and the lady was like, yeah, we're having a day of the dead show coming up in a couple of weeks. Do you have stuff for it? And I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. And I had no idea what it was. So I'm like, yeah, I came home and got on Google right away and was trying to figure out what Day of the Dead was and what it meant. And, I, you know, at this point, I'm a young adult. And, you know, I, I had just started reconnecting with my dad through old boxes my grandma had saved for me about, you know, his past and his culture. It was really painful. And almost, uh, we were almost sheltered from it when I was a kid. So I didn't get to know a lot about him um, because he did die of suicide. So I think in my family, it was kind of like a way of protecting me. But as I grew up, you know, and got older, I, I was missing something and I really needed to know what that was. And diving deeper into his culture essentially with the gallery was kind of my first step um i came home started researching what day of the dead was and i fell in love immediately with the holiday i started to find deep deep pride in my culture and my heritage i wanted to know more it was like i opened a floodgate and i was just in awe i was in a whole new land and i wanted to know everything i could about it so i started doing a lot of research and I took all of these paintings that I painted of these beautiful pinup girls and I covered their faces with makeup of sugar skulls and, you know, painted these beautiful skeleton faces over them. So for the culture in the Day of the Dead celebration, you'll see a lot of people with their faces painted like a beautiful skeletons with rhinestones and beautiful colors. And so I went, I went crazy. I painted over all of these paintings that took me hours and hours. And um, I went to the gallery with like seven paintings. I'm like, ta-da! Yeah, I know. You know, I did it. And I sold out that night. I sold everything off the wall. And, you know, it was 
a huge eye-opener for me that not only was it something, a whole new world that I just opened, but so many people saw the beauty and appreciated it. And I just spiraled from there. So that's what I became known for was I started diving deeper into the culture and showing more significance in my paintings and along the way getting to know my dad in, in, a, in a sense because he was also an artist. So, you know, it kind of felt like a, a good bridge or a connection. So your artwork, firstly, probably a two-part question is um, helps you feel connected back with your dad who committed suicide tragically. Yes, def- yes, he did. So, like I said, me and my, I had my younger brother at the time, and I was in kindergarten, and he's a year and a half younger than me, so we were very young, left alone with my mom, you know, and we kind of drifted from my dad's side of the family, who really only speaks Spanish, and, you know, that was sad for me, because that was not, that was a whole half of my, my being that was just gone, and being a kid, you don't, really know what's missing but you feel something missing Um, and I think that it wasn't until I started diving deeper into my artwork really representing my culture and heritage that I felt that that connection growing. Tell me more about the Day of the Dead. So is that just in Mexican culture? So it's actually in a lot of Latin cultures. It might be celebrated a little bit differently in each culture. Um, But Day of the Dead is essentially a celebration of life and death. Um, It originated in Mexico, but it's celebrated all over Latin America and different Latin um, cultures. So it's celebrated on November 1st and 2nd. Um, November 1st would be known as All Saints Day or the Day of the Little Angels. Um, It's dedicated to infants and children and innocent um souls and then day the day of the dead for number or for i'm sorry november 2nd is all souls day so that's when you celebrate everybody um so it's kind, the kind of things that you'll see when they celebrate day of the dead is uh, colorful cavaleras which are skulls sugar skulls you make skulls out of sugar and decorate them and the face paint we talked about that um calacas they're skeletons so you see them everywhere it's it's sometimes people confuse um, Day of the Dead for Halloween, and it's definitely not Halloween. It's a it's a very deep, meaningful celebration um, of ancestors of li- of loved ones that have passed. And then you also see ofrendas. Ofrendas are basically an altar you build in your home. That I I got really really deep into my altar making these last couple years, and um, traditionally it's supposed to be uh, five to seven layers tall, and each layer represents a different. Thing. Um, so you'll want to use very traditional things like a, a jug of water for essentially when your loved ones are coming to visit you. It's like when the two can mingle, when the dead can cross over into the land of the living and you can celebrate together. So you're not going to physically see them, you know, but uh, you can fill them. And so you're supposed to put pictures on the ofrenda of people you don't want to forget um, of your loved ones, including pets. So, you know, after... Willie passed away, I definitely went crazy. It's supposed to be an altar full of offerings. You can put their favorite toys, their favorite food or treats or all of all of your lost loved ones you put on the altar. So I, I have pets and I have people. I have my dad, of course. I have, you know, um, his favorite snacks. And over the years, I've had to kind of call my mom and be like, what, what was his favorite snack? You know, and I found out it was a Long John donut. So I went and got a little box of those. You get Pawn. Pawn is a special bread that um, you serve for the dead, and you keep that on the altar. Uh, Marigolds. Marigolds are the flower that's supposed to, the scent that 
brings um, your lost loved ones the smell to your altar so that they can they know which way to go. And papel picado, it's like tissue paper that you decorate and cut out. And when the breeze blows and the wind goes through the paper, um, it's supposed to be showing you that they're there. So it's a really, really beautiful holiday. I'm sure that there's still so much more I need to learn about it and, and keep diving deeper to connect to my roots. But it has been a huge, huge, huge um, comfort for me, not only in, you know, the death of the loved ones that have passed that I can honor and celebrate in that way, but also Willie, you know, that has been something that I have gone even further with since he died as well. So um, he's definitely at the very top of my altar. <laughs> Absolutely. Most, most important part. Most important part. Tell me how Willie came into your life. So Willie came into my life because, um, you know, my my son was playing Little League football, and I saw this big, beautiful, beautiful dog. I mean, the biggest dog I'd ever seen in my life. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I fell in love. It was just a beautiful dog. And we we were friends with the parents of the another player who was on the team, and they were just little peewee players. And we started conversating and found out she was pregnant and was going to have babies. And I was I have to have one. <laughs> I have to have one yeah. of these dogs. I just felt a draw, very drawn to the breed, a Cane Corso. She's a, a black, full black Cane Corso. She had the babies. My birthday is April 28th, actually, tomorrow. And she had her babies on April 30th. But I loved that they were born a couple days after my birthday. And so they were a birthday gift for me from my husband. So he told me I could pick it and if he could name it. <laughs> and so we went to go look at them when they were little. And, you know, at breeders, it's all fancy. And you have to put the color, the color, color that you want. Once you put the deposit down, they let you pick the color and it marks your baby. And I went in and I just took one look in that, in that they had them in a little play tub. And I saw, you know, a lot of them, but they only had four males, I think. And they had 12 puppies um, and the rest were female. And I saw this little runt. He was a little guy. He was little and he was very shy, very quiet. And I, I just instantly knew he was meant for me. He, I just knew it. He was meant for me and I was meant for him. And the second I picked him up, I just was in love. The smell, his face, just everything. I, I have to have him. I didn't even want to leave him there because he wasn't big enough to leave his mama yet. You know, so we... My husband was like, that's the runt. We don't want the runt. He's so little because these are supposed to be big muscle dogs and, you know, they're supposed to look cool. And he was this little tiny, squeaky, runty, whiny puppy. And I'm like, no, I want this one. You said I could pick and you can name it. Um, so he was, you know, we were debating about names the whole time we waited for him to come home. And he came home to me when he was only six weeks old and my husband decided on the name Attila. So, you know, Attila, he could think about it from, there's like a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where there's an Attila character, I guess, who's pretty, pretty cool. And then Attila the Hun, there's so many different stories of these big Attilas. You know, I know, I knew deep in my heart, Attila was never his name, <laughs> but we went along with it for a little while because we promised, you know, if I could pick him, Dad can name him. So that was the you know, deal, right? That, that was the deal. I'm just fulfilling my deal, deal, hubby. That yep. was the deal. <laughs> that was the deal. Yeah, and you know, um, eventually, and, and this was very quickly, he kind of went from Attila to Tilly Willie to just Willie, <laughs> and. <laughs> 
he did not answer to anything else besides Willie. You know, it was funny because we'd be out in public and my husband would be like, don't call him that in public. It's so embarrassing. He's this big muscle dog and he's supposed to be cool and his name's Willie, you know, and I, I always loved when animals have old man names, I call it, <laughs> you know, like people, more human names, like he's my human, he's my person, I gotta, I gotta give him a person name. And Willie's a pretty strong you know, name, uh, right? I think so too. I mean, I, I think it's a great name and he loved it. And, you know, he, he wouldn't come eventually to Attila. And it was like his name when you're in trouble, you know, like I, when your mom uses your first middle and, and all of the names. <laughs> I, I'm being Hispanic. I have four names. So <laughs> I, 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 I was a good kid, though. I didn't get in trouble that much. Tell me about life with Willie. Yeah, there's just so much. There's so much. I can't. He became my shadow dog. He was my dance partner. He was my cuddle buddy. He, you know, he was my, definitely my protector. I always like to say he was my handrail on the edge of a cliff. I mean, my head stayed above water most times because of him. Um, he, he was everything to me. He was, he wasn't my dog. He was my, my person. He was my person, you know, so he, and I, I liked, I came up with the connecting him to the term heart dog because I felt like you know people have soulmates and I feel like a heart dog is your soulmate he's your soul your soul dog you know and he definitely was mine he was the one that I'd have a nightmare and wake up cry, wake you know when you cry in your sleep and you're sleeping still but you're having a nightmare or something he would be the one nudging me from the side of my bed of course he was too big to sleep in the bed at the same time as you know two people sleeping in a bed but he was always right next to me and the second dad would leave out the door in the morning he'd hop in the bed with me I was a night shift employee at the time so he he got he got to sleep in in the bed with mom because that's when I slept was during the day I was like a vampire so but he he just (laughs) He, he was everything. He, And th- this is the funny part is he was that tiny little runt boy who my husband thought looked like the weak one of the bunch, you know. And when we had uh, the breeders, when you get your certain fancy dogs, they I call them name brand dogs, they make you make them look a certain way, you know. They make you sign a contract that you'll have their ears cropped and you'll, they'll, you know, they have their tail docked when they're little, which are things that I don't think I would choose to do for my, my own dogs, but going through a breeder you kind of have to follow their rules and his dad was a show dog and so when we took him to go get his ears his stitches out and we saw the whole litter he got to see his brothers and sisters again a couple months after we had him at home he was now the biggest dog out of all the puppies and the breeder was like hey I gave you the wrong dog I want that dog back and I'm like you you are gonna have to pry him from my cold dead hands if you think you're gonna get anywhere there um and he just grew and grew and grew and grew ever since that you know that that little puppy I I always that the doctors could never really give me a reason why he never really stopped growing ever um all the way up until his death he never stopped growing what did you use to feed him (laughs) just just dog food I mean you know he had scraps here and there but uh he 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 wasn't really even a big like bone dog he he just you know, he just ate dog food and, and he was bougie. He liked gravy on it. He did not eat it plain. He liked to have some kind of a broth or a gravy mixed in with his hard kibble. But, you know, I, I, I didn't feed him anything different. But he, um, like, breed standard for a Corso is about 150, 160 for males and 
when he passed, he was 198 pounds. So, you know, compared to me, uh, you know, I'm about 130. He's, he was huge. He was huge and larger than life. He took up his press, his presence in the room was larger than life. His, you know, his, his love that he gave me, his unconditional love was larger than life. And yeah, he, uh, he, he was too big. His heart was too big for this world. And, you know, we, we lost him early, but um, that's what I always say was his heart was just too big for this world. And he came and did so many fantastic things and was here for me through really hard times of life, you know, and he was, he was my constant. He was my everything. He could make a whole bad, horrible day turn into just, it just went away, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, Willie was, he was only seven. He had just had a birthday uh, and so April 30th is his birthday and, you know, uh, this was the beginning of June. So he had just turned seven in a couple months prior. And, you know, I was, I was really busy at the time. I, I just became a new teacher. I was in grad school. I was doing a program with the Denver Zoo where I was um, doing a graduate program where I could go in and monitor the animals. And it was, it was a dream come true. And I was so immersed in my work and my my life. And, you know, that was such a busy week for me. And we were supposed to go on a little weekend staycation to a cabin up in Green Mountain Reservoir. And um, I was out shopping for the cabin because I cook for everybody all weekend. And my grandma, my little tiny 80 pound grandma is my dog sitter. <laughs> so she used to always come and she'd call him her grand dog and babysit Willie while we went anywhere. And, you know, it was a much needed vacation coming off a year of my first year teaching. And, grad school just coming into full swing and uh, got home from grocery shopping pretty late at night and like I said up into this point I right before I became a teacher I was a night shifter at the emergency room so I was used to doing things at night but Willie didn't get his walk that day and so my husband was kind of like hey let's let's go you know take Willie on a walk and because we're going on vacation in the morning so um, we decided to, it was midnight, it was around midnight and he heard walk and he was already up. He was already sleeping in his bed who he, he wasn't a normal dog. He has this giant orthopedic 12 inch deep mattress bed with, and he had to be covered up with pillows and blankies. Um, he used a pillow like a human, like he looks like, and he snored like a grown man. So, <laughs> um, he was already sleeping, but he hears walk. It doesn't matter if he's in a dead sleep or not. He's, uh, jumping up and ready to go and so we just took him on a short one and he we let him loose off the leash and he runs through a little leech field around our house and um, we go around the block it wasn't really a long walk at all and it was you know the beginning of June so here in Colorado it's not super super hot it's a very perfect temperature it's kind of like 60s you know so like 60s or low 70s and uh, it was a beautiful night we took him out and about you know uh, this this part is hard because it's I was coming around the bend and we've talked before about spirituality and I've kind of gone back and forth with my spiritual beliefs and kind of trying to know what I completely believe in. But I grew up really, really Catholic and I pray and um, stopped going to church. But, you know, I still pray in those desperate times. And for some reason, when we were coming around the bend and we could see our house, it was about 10 houses away, I, I prayed and I just remember because we told him, come on, baby, cross the street. And he knows what that means. We didn't even have to keep his leash on him at midnight walking him because he was such a good dog. You know, he didn't run away or try to go in people's yards. And so we told him cross the street. And it was just something about that where I was like, wow, I will never 
have this again ever like he he's so irreplaceable and he's so beautiful and smart and I prayed I'm I just said please God please give me a few more years I know big dogs don't last long but please just give me a few more years and we get about where well, that was about 10 houses away and it was just a really weird urge because I didn't pray a lot at that time that was not something that I did a lot and about three houses before ours he just started walking really slowly and he looked tired and at first I thought maybe he's just tired it's late at night you know he was already sleeping he knows homes right there maybe he's just tired my husband kind of went ahead because he still had to pack and was kind of ahead of us and I said he's going really slow you know I hope nothing's wrong and he said no he's an old man and he's tired and we got to the neighbor's house right next to ours and he was hardly walking he was walking very very slowly and to the edge of the driveway I started noticing him wobbling um, a little bit looking dizzy if you will um, he wore a harness instead of a, a collar like a leash that hooks to a dog's neck he wore a giant 100, 200 pound dog has to wear you know a big giant harness and so it has a handle on it like a that you can hold and I grabbed it and he started to wobble and just collapsed and it happened so fast it was almost like a complete outer body experience he was he was gone in an instant it was so instantaneous I was trying to give him water I ran in the house I got his water bowl I panicked I was running up and down the street screaming for help I don't know who I thought was going to magically come and help me um, instantly in that moment started cursing God because I was angry I thought you know what a slap in the face I just prayed and you know I I needed I needed I need him still and you took him it was uh it was almost like I was in such disbelief and shock my body went into actual shock like I felt so overstimulated I felt like I needed to like I I needed to do something to stop my body and brain I I remember rolling around on this on the ground it was such an erratic crazy experience that you know I I don't know if you if you or anybody can relate to like that animalistic noise that comes out of somebody where you just you don't even you can't even imagine that sound coming from your body it was that was the sound <laughs> and my kids were there and you know my son-in-law had just moved in with us and they were trying to help me trying to help you know my husband was just like I, I just kept screaming pick him up pick him. we got to go to the vet and my husband's just like Shay it's it's too late he is gone he's gone and I looked down and he had urinated and he was gone you know he was gone and it was just such a spur of the moment it was so unfair it was just so I was in such disbelief I was in shock um I actually passed out <laughs> and had to be carried inside I I don't remember how I got in there but then when I woke up um, my mom was there uh, she doesn't live far uh, she said I called her which I don't even remember doing um, she tells me to this day she has nightmares from the way I was screaming on the phone um, she thought she didn't know what happened to one of the kids if I was in an accident she just didn't know what it was until one of my kids took the phone from her you know in that moment I you know it, it was outer body it was so surreal but I realized in an instant everything that I had just lost I realized what was gone and what I was never going to get back again um, he was so big even my husband and my son-in-law couldn't pick him up and bring him in the house so the best we could do was take his big giant orthopedic bed 
out to the driveway and put him on it like a gurney and pull it into the garage. And I slept there with him um, throughout the night. You know, we called my husband. Thank God he had his mind together enough to be the adult (laughs) in the situation because I couldn't. I was not mentally there um, to call services because we couldn't even get him in our car. You know, what what do you do with a dog that's that big? So we, uh, you know, found a service that has, it's a beautiful service that has like a hearse um, for dogs. It has little paw prints on the windows and they come very professionally, um, take the dog away. But of course it was the middle of the night at this point and I, I slept out there with him. And, you know, I just remember those, the crazy, things it's kind of morbid to remember but he was getting stiff and I kept trying to move him because I was desperate for that not to happen because working in the ER for 10 years I I know you know the finality and that that's that's it he's he's gone and he's stiff and I can't bend him and I kept trying to do these things that I know didn't matter (laughs) it wasn't going to change it wasn't going to bring him back he was gone um but I just remember being out there all night with him and he started to even smell a little by the morning. And it was just, uh, it was so traumatic. <laughs> it was such a traumatic experience. And when they came in the morning, somehow my entire family that was supposed to go on the trip with us ended up at my house. And it wasn't, you know, a full service or funeral, but it was his service. And it was beautiful. Um, I couldn't compose myself still. I was still making those crazy noises and just, I felt like I was not control of anything of my body. You know, I, I walked back into the house in the morning to just get a drink of water or go to the bathroom or something. And I saw his bed and just was like, for a second, I was just in such disbelief. Even when I woke up holding him in the garage that morning, it almost felt like a dream or like it wasn't real. (laughs) Um, you know, that he was gone for real. <laughs> we had to keep checking. And yeah, so when they took him, it was, we all stood around the car and helped, took five guys to get him in the car. And I couldn't watch. I had to go back to the front door and turn away so that I didn't see that, um, see them loading him because I didn't want to see any kind of mishandling of him or, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I feel very selfish. I hope that I didn't scare him more because he needed me in that moment and I wasn't there for him the way that I should have been. And he was there for me my whole life, you know, his whole life he dedicated to me and I couldn't be there for him the way he needed me to in his last moment. So I hated myself for a long time for that because I should have comforted him. Instead, I was so out of control of myself and I know I couldn't help it at the time, but it just felt very selfish, you know, and I'm still struggling with forgiving myself for that, even though I feel like I couldn't control it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Does make sense. You know, those days feel like a blur. Um, all I kept thinking was, how, how could this, how is the world still spinning? How are people driving? How are people, like, I, I guess I just felt like the loss was so massive, and it took such a huge crater out of I was gone you know it wasn't it wasn't even a a fact to say like I was just sad it was like I my whole essence went away with him and I I laid on the couch I didn't shower I didn't get off the couch I felt like I wasn't eating 
I my health started to decline and and being a teacher I had the summer off so that was the first day of my vacation that's how it started and I was off for three months now by myself in a house alone you know and so the depression and the the trauma was real and I start I stopped talking I I couldn't even talk to people and then again beating myself up because I'm this complete failure my kids were probably sad too but I could not physically be there for anybody I couldn't feed myself I couldn't make dinner I couldn't do anything in that entire summer I left my house maybe five times the entire summer um I was doing things that I thought were make I, I thought I was going insane I thought I was mad I was searching around the backyard for something that he left something anything you know I I found a paw print that he had that was preserved kind of underneath the deep bush um that had a long branch that stuck out and it was muddy underneath there and the mud had hardened and I found a paw print um a cup like about a week after he had passed and I cast it in plaster and I you know started doing things like finding his hairs all over the place. I would sweep 50 times a day if I got off the couch just to try to find his hairs. I did things that, to me, felt insane. I mean, I preserved everything the way he left it. I didn't want to touch anything. Um, I was picking his hairs out of a blanket that had to be washed because I didn't want the hairs to go away. It was just like trying to put him back together again. It was the it was things that I was doing that I needed to cope just to exist in those days. But I I went I went once to a pet um loss therapy group that our big shelter in Denver puts on for people and I had never done anything like that before in my life and it was six women, they were all women in there that they said bring a picture. I couldn't even look at pictures at this point. So I brought it, but I didn't look at it. I kept it in my purse and I got there and, you know, these people were so sad. And one of them was talking about her dog that was very ill and she knew was coming to an end. So she had time to say goodbye, but it it was like four months after her dog had passed. And I just remember thinking, am I going to still feel like this in four months? Like I, I felt like I could never be the same again like I didn't feel like anything in life would ever be the same like just my my body wasn't big enough for the amount of pain that I was in and and nothing helped (laughs) nothing helped I I lost about 30 pounds I I mean I didn't have weight to lose but I was I was withering away I I the bold statement but I I did not care if I lived or died I didn't want to be here anymore without him it was so hard to be here without him but then again in my head I'm thinking I can't do this to my kids because I'm a product of a suicide you know a parent that has committed suicide and how could I even think like this how could I even not want to be here but I I didn't you know it was just I I I lost my handrail on the edge of a cliff and I did not know how to cope I I just didn't um I started losing my hair I had bald spots I you know all of my weight that I had lost, I couldn't keep any of my clothing up or on me. Um, my family was really concerned. My mom would come every week or so and try to drop off snacks or something. And she just kept telling me how worried she was about me. And I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything else. And I know it was so frustrating for my family because my husband wanted me up. He wanted me to, he wanted to help, you know, and um, 
my mom, you know, I went into her clinic because I have eczema and I had a really bad breakout with eczema and I went in for cream and I'm like, I need my eczema cream filled. And I went in and she kind of like gave, you know, the doctor came in and was like, we're, we're, we're worried about you and we need you to advocate for yourself and get some help. And I, I felt kind of like, an, you know, that show Intervention, where it's like your family kind of bombards you. I'm like, I just came here for eczema cream. Like, I, I'm i fine. I'm fine. And I wasn't fine. Um, but I ended up seeking counseling. And I, I got a grief therapist. And I realized at the beginning, I kept apologizing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know he's a dog. I know you talk to people who lose their children. I know you talk to people who, you know, have a traumatic loss and it's for some reason I felt like I needed to apologize for how I was feeling and my grief and her having to help me because I didn't know what therapy was I didn't know you know what was happening I, I didn't know what was happening with me I was a completely different person um you know and she actually diagnosed me with PTSD um and I was in complete and utter shock I was like I thought that that was just war vets and people who experience these life-changing traumatic things that happen to them I I thought of people going through PTSD as how you know not me I didn't think it was me but once you know I really went through therapy and I learned more about it I was like yeah that's me you know like I I get it now and and it's okay and through therapy I started to learn I mean I wrote letters to myself and I can read them back now and see the mindset and state that I was in. And it was, it's unbearable even to look back at it and to try to try to remember my, my time like that. And I, I'm not through it. You know, I don't feel like grief ever ends. I don't feel like it, it ever goes away. I feel like there's so, but so much of me is who I am because of what he taught me and, and who he was in my life. Um, and I've learned that the only way to keep him alive truly is to share that spirit with the world and to do good and to help people who feel this way know that they're not alone and to help them with something that brings them joy or help them cope with the loss. At first, my my, oh, my therapist was honestly one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my entire life. And she made me feel completely safe, completely understood not crazy. I mean, I think she told me, you are not crazy at least a thousand times because I would come in and say, I did this. I was picking hairs with the tweezer and I, I'm saving them in a baggie and I'm crazy, right? I'm crazy. Like, do I need to go somewhere? Like, I, I was really convinced that I was insane. I mean, working in the emergency room for so long and seeing mental illness, I, I was sure I had something going on. And, you know, she was my, at that time, she became my my, you know, handrail on the cliff because she was helping me to understand that I had nothing to apologize for and my loss was my loss and that it doesn't matter if it wasn't a human being. It was my, you know, he was just as much of a human being or a presence in my daily life as a child or a partner or as anybody else that you're close with. And, you know, I, I struggled a lot. I struggled with, oh, well, what if when I lose people, I don't feel the same way I felt like when I lost Willie. Am I a bad person? And how am I going to, am I going to do this with every death that happens? Because I haven't lost a lot of close relatives. I've lost a ton of people, but not super close family members. And with the regard of my dad, but I was so little, you know, um, 
I didn't, I, I felt so guilty for so many things. And I think that through my grief, I really had to forgive myself. And like I said earlier, there's things that I'm still trying to forgive myself for. And maybe I never will, you know, but it was, it was her helping me understand a I'm not crazy and you are not alone and at first she thought she had said the words to me like you are as in thick of grief as any mother I've seen lose a child but then after we did our sessions and months had gone on I stayed I I still talk to her I still talk with her now and then she told me you know what I I thought it was like a mother-child relationship at first but the more I came to know you I understand now that he wasn't a child to you. He was an equal. He was your person. And I told her, it's funny, I have a picture frame with him in it that says, you are my person. He's my person. He wasn't my dog, you know, and like you said, it's never just a dog. He was, he's, he was my person. He was everything. Great great therapist. Great therapist. She actually told me to try to come up with or encompass what a heart dog is. And so I made this like little poem that I include in any artwork that I do. It's not a poem so much, but it's a a description of what a heart dog is and kind of encompassing what Willie was. And so I'll read it to you. It I'd says, love, I'd love a, you heart dog, a heart dog comes along once in a lifetime. My only goal is to grab your heart so tightly it can change the way you can't it can change the way you live and see life. I entered to fulfill a need for unconditional love and to lick the tears from your cheeks, to offer companionship like no other creature can. I give my entire self to you. We become in sync. We understand each other on an unspoken level through endless conversations between souls that cross barriers of time and space. We share effortless connections and an understanding of one another. Our one-of-a-kind relationships proves a dog can be your heart's best friend, ingrained in your heart and soul. Since we have each other, we are some of the lucky ones. Please keep that with you always. And that's really what I I want people to realize is that this loss, as much as it hurts, I would never take back anything. As much as the loss hurts and it hurts to your core, it hurts you so deep down, I wouldn't change a thing because I love that we, we are the lucky ones. Yeah, definitely. I recommend this to everybody who has lost a heart dog is journaling. Start with the 100 things I love about you or 100 memories or 100. It doesn't have to be I I love. It could be a memory. It could be something naughty. It could be something funny. It could be, you know, anything like that. Um, And I started in a, a ratty old notebook and. I mean, I'm still adding to the list to this day. It's, I even stopped numbering it because it's just, it's hundreds and hundreds of things. He was a character. I mean, he would let you put a baseball hat on him or sunglasses, or he did not like being dirty. He was very fancy. He would, we taught him how to wipe his feet on the rug when he came in from outside. Um, I could, he loved boiled eggs boiled eggs. I don't know why, but he loved them. And I would make like a salad for lunch the next day. And he would be out in his bed snoring like a grown man. And I crack an egg on the counter or the edge of the counter and he would jump up like, oh, yum, yum. And it just come. <laughs> he was just such a foodie. <laughs> he knew those sounds. <laughs> he knew those sounds. He would come running for anything like that. But it's just it's just the little things, you know, it's like the bottom of his paw pads were so rough that anytime he would get by you, he would scratch you or your skin up if you had shorts on or something or, or your arm because the bottom of his pads were so rough that I 
but I would do anything to fill that right now. You know, just he loved his toys. He loved his toys. And he wasn't a destroyer. He didn't rip up his toys. He saved them like he preserved them. He would like to sleep with them. So soggy and crusty and gross, but he just loved them. <laughs> <laughs> have you, and you've still got all of his toys? I have not gotten rid of a single thing of his. And yeah. that is not an understatement. I even have his last prescription eardrop bottle like I have the cup I used to fill up his water dish with I have everything I bought a big giant trunk huge cedar trunk and I keep everything in there and the great thing about that cedar trunk is it preserves the smell like you can open that trunk and it's just a whiff of willy just right in me in my face and it's funny because if anybody in the world knows what Frito Lay's chips smell like Frito's that's what Willie smelled like. <laughs> it wasn't a good smell. <laughs> he smelled like Fritos. And it was funny because you open that trunk. It's like oh, you, somebody popped open a bag of Fritos right in your face. It's, it's Fritos. That's what he smelled like. <laughs> so Shay, Hot Dog Art Studio, did that come from yeah. or was that inspired by your loss of Willie? It definitely was. And I've always been an artist. I've always sold artwork. I told you I got deep into my culture and have always done a lot of Day of the Dead inspired pieces, but Heart Dog Art Studio was not a thing until after uh, Willie passed. And he is the whole inspiration. He, you know, I, I grew this, this idea from, I always say it was, you know, grown through grief and fostered by love. And it is what it is now because of him. He's the whole reason for it. People send photos in of their, their own pets, their own dogs, and then you combine your yeah. love for Alabrihe. Yeah. So actually, it it all started one night, just sitting on the couch. I, wa I, I watched a very popular Disney movie that deals with Alabrihe's and the Day of the Dead. I, you know, I, I fell asleep that night on the couch, and this was still pretty, you know, this was maybe, Willie's been gone now, in June will be three years this was probably a year and a half after his death. And, you know, I, being so connected to my culture and just seeing that other aspect and thinking about an animal as your guide. You know, in my eyes, dogs are sacred anyway, but they're, they're the crossover beings. They're, the, they're part wild, but yet they're like us in so many ways. And so it's they show us how important animals are and how sentient animals are and... I started looking into Elabrijes because that night I fell asleep and had a dream and Willie was colorful and he, you know, I saw him in, in these beautiful out of worldly colors and, and, you know, I had begged for a dream of him for so long and it was just like, I never got it. And I woke up in the middle of the night on the couch and I grabbed my iPad and started doing digital art I'm like I have to do this I have to try this right now I have to make him my Elabrije you know and I started researching as well because I've I've been so into my ancestry and my culture and getting things right that I wanted to make sure like what well what is an Elabrije what let me look into this a little bit deeper because I want it to be meaningful not just for a beautiful piece to look at but I want it to be meaningful and I want to know what I can tell people about this so Looking into Elabrijes, I mean, they're definitely tales and folklore and fables passed down from generations, but 
essentially a spirit animal and these are guides and protectors they could be like mischief makers and they keep us from harm but also urge us to seek adventure and just bring magic to our lives so um, the pop culture bringing awareness to the mexican culture in alabrijes and showing a deeper meaning of maybe a dog a street dog being your your spirit guide and they're really there to comfort you and you know watch you through life and guide you um i i dug deeper and so looking at the pioneers of the alabrijes there's a man by the name of pedro linares and he he only died in 1992 but he he had a, a fever dream some people say he like actually passed away in a coma and then woke back up and said he saw these crazy beings in his sleep and they were surreal and hybrid and different colors and but he he saw them as more scary and grotesque and that's from the mexico city version of alabrijes um i dug a little deeper and found a place called oaxaca mexico and there's a man by the name manuel jimenez uh he died in 2005 but he has, um, in the Oaxaca version of Alabrijes, they believe animals have a very deep meaning and connection to a person's soul from the day that they're born. Um, so there's a there's a tribe called the Zapotec uh, Cosmetology. It, it's like a, sorry, it's a 260-day calendar that gives an animal to a spirit or a person, and it ties those two together. So it shapes the existence of a person. And really changes who you're going to be with specific characteristics of that animal since birth. So I, I dug deep and seeing Lily like that and drawing it like that, I thought, my God, I just, I want people to have this comfort. I want them to have this blanket of thinking not that their heart dog has just died and they're gone, but what if these are our spirit guides? What if these are our elebrijes? What if they are waiting for us on the other side and they're and they're guiding us and they're helping us not just through life they're with you through the time that you need them most here on earth but then they're in spiritual version waiting for you so yeah that's when I started opening it up to first family and I said I have this really cool idea I'll do it for free give me pictures of your dogs and I kind of explained what it was and what I wanted to do and it just kind of blew up from there I got so many requests and then you know, my Instagram page started going and it was just, I was so, I, a whole new passion just sparked inside of me. And I felt so much joy and comfort with, when I started getting orders, I started selling on Etsy and I was getting orders from strangers and making these deep, beautiful, like connections with people. These strangers were telling me things that they needed that comfort. They needed that hand to reach out and tell them, you're not crazy. You're, this is normal. And he, and they're still with you and, and give them a different way to see their pet. We have so many visions and like, you know, you, people can relate to that last day or the last breath and, and seeing their pet with the life gone out of them and their eyes are closed or their eyes are maybe open, but there's no life left. And what I hope I'm doing is giving them vibrant colors out of this world colors you know things that something dreams are made of i want them to see their pet as their spirit guide in a whole new light in a whole transition not gone hey shad it's been absolutely amazing having you on today and i wish you all the best with the continuance of your beautiful heart dog studio artwork i love it thank you so much for having me it was a complete honor and i'm so happy to share willie's story and let him live a little longer through everybody 